electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Deirdre Boza, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Happy Black Friday. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Julia Boyston. John and Deirdre have the morning off today. Uh, searching for a pulse on the consumer. We've got it today, along with the latest data. Stock moves, winners on this shortened trading day for stocks. Plus more on where e-com goes from here with an interview you do not want to miss. Shopify's Harley Finkelstein is going to join us in a bit. Finally, the Apple breakdown as COVID cases surge in China and questions continue to grow around iPhone supply going into the holidays. Very big show today, Julia, even with the shortened session. Yes, and a happy Black Friday to you, Carl. We are going to be kicking off today's feed with a read on the consumer as Black Friday becomes a make-or-break holiday this year. An investor's eye, a potential consumer slowdown alongside what's been a rolling tide of layoffs, guidance cuts, and negative sentiment from names ranging from Target to Amazon. Christina Partsnevelos joins us now with the latest. Christina? Well, Julia, between stuffing our faces with turkey meals, shoppers were able to get in a lot of shopping yesterday. Consumers spent a record $5.3 billion, $5.3 billion. It's not on here, but I'll say $5.3. That is up by this year, an almost 3% increase year over year. And to put that into context, on an average day, it's about 2 to $3 billion in the United States. And today, Adobe is predicting that number will jump to $9 billion, which sounds like a lot, but it's only a 1% increase year over year. New data, though, from Captivai has Walmart as the most search retailer for online Black Friday deals, followed by Target as well as Kohl's. Kohl's really gaining in popularity this year. It's up 1,037% year over year for online searches, dethroning Amazon. It was the previous slide, so maybe we can go back to that. But last year, Amazon was number one, number one when it came to search retailers on Black Friday for 2021. But now it's literally number four on the list. We just have a bunch of different screens there. But people are searching for beauty products and tech this season. And if we look at specific products, tech leads the way with PCs, gaming, consoles, topping the list. And the top search cell brands, cell phone brands, are Samsung, Apple, Google, and Sony this year. Samsung was actually knocked off uh, lower because of Google taking the top uh, spot. Or you can see um, just with this, and no surprise here, Apple is still up here, still up here at number two because shoppers are looking to get their hands on the new iPhone 14 and 14 Pro. And if you're just waking up right now, maybe on the West Coast, and you're tuning in, you want to know, what are the best deals out there? New data shows toys are seeing the biggest discounts now pretty much an average of 34% off listed prices followed by electronics and computers. But Cyber Monday is expected to be the better day for electronics, so you maybe should be waiting out for that until Monday. Christine, it's so interesting thinking about how much this year is different than last year when we were dealing with all those supply chain issues and the shortages and delays. Do you think that we're going to see a shift of, of much more spending later because people aren't as, as worried about 
uh, about all those shortages? Yeah, excellent question, which we, is something we've already heard from several retailers. For example, Macy's, they said that they saw a, pretty much a slowdown at the end of October, beginning of November. They're expecting consumers to shift that spending later on into the holiday season, which is why on Christmas Eve they're open for one hour longer. The expectation is that, yes, that will happen, but everybody has been, well, not everybody, but we've heard this narrative that uh, there's been an inventory glut, that there's bigger deals this year, that the deals have started earlier. So people are waiting. Consumers are taking their time. They're going into stores. We're also getting some retail analysts that are telling us that people are uh, using their mobile phone to search for deals. They're not rushing to do it because they anticipate that the sales will be longer and deeper this season. Well, Christina, I definitely have not started my holiday shopping yet. And last year at this time, I was so worried about getting things in time I had. So thank you so much. What tops your list, by the way? <laughs> well, I have to figure out what I'm going to get for my kids. You're going to have to, to fill us in. Hot on what Wheels. The hot, hot Wheels. I don't know how old your children are. I'm, I'm assuming uh, Hot Wheels, Paw, Paw Patrol, and then uh, Nintendo Switch are the top three for toys. Well, they're big on Legos, so I'm, I'm on, oh. the, on, the, on the lookout for those. Thanks so much. Thank you. And, as consumers prepare to spend this morning, the Everything Store could be closed for business. Amazon warehouse workers across 40 countries are planning protests and walkouts today in a campaign dubbed, dubbed Make Amazon Pay, demanding better wages and working conditions. As the company warns, its Christmas season could see a slowdown. Commerce IQ, in fact, found that Amazon's average number of purchase orders is down 30 percent versus the same period last year. Joining us now, former Amazon executive and Commerce IQ CEO Guru Hari Haran. Thank you so much for joining us, Guru. Before we get into some of these broader trends, first give us a sense of what you think the impact of these protests is going to be. Thanks for having me. So, of course, this year, the uh, the, the entire um, issue has been around stagflation, right? Inflation being at the highest and uh, profitability being heavily hit because of su supply chain issues. Supply chain has always been a, has been a problem in the last, uh, all through the pandemic. And uh, as soon as we believe that something's sort of uh, getting into a good shape, we suddenly start seeing something like the uh, protests like these. I think retailers have to get set up for something, what I would call just in case re uh, supply chain. We were living in this world as just in time supply chain for the last 20 years. Now we need to be getting ready for just in case supply chain. Something can break any single day, and today, what broke was the uh, was the was was labor issues. But do you see these protests meaningfully impacting Amazon's ability to get products to consumers on time, and could that hurt um, not only their profitability but also their competitive advantage, which they do have so much so going to this holiday season? Absolutely, I think the uh, the backbone of all the of the supply chain is the labor. At the end of the day. Uh, but if you think about, like, we, we still have to see what, how deep this is affecting Amazon. Um, Amazon's obviously one of the largest employers in the U.S. And, and of course, if there's some noise in the system, it gets amplified pretty heavily in the media. So we have to see how deeply this is affecting. However, it is expected to affect some of the, some of the issues around, say, like the SLAs for how fast, how quickly things can be delivered. Well, guess what? If Amazon does not get this, get on, on top of this before, say, December 17th or December 18th, it's going to impact the final crucial days that will come up uh, where it does count in terms of what the, um, uh, what the sales volumes will be and will be counted for them uh, towards the, uh, towards the uh, final quarter. Hey, Guru, I'm curious to know how you're thinking about uh, consumer shopping trends. Obviously, toys are big, and, and they always are uh, for kids. But how do adults 
shop for other adults, especially given that we've come off a couple of years where we've loaded up on goods. I wonder how much payback will there be for that? Uh, Carl, we've been, we've been tracking, at Commerce Hockey, we've been tracking about, um, f uh, about 5 million products or so, about $20 billion of GMB across, uh, say, thousands, thousands of brands. And there are some data uh, that we are seeing, which is quite representative of e-commerce. Uh, to start with, consumers are looking for something that is cheap and cheerful in this holiday season. Gone are the days, like last year, last two years, we were seeing expensive items like consumer electronics goods, like, say, Apple watches and things like that that were trending in the top 10. But this year, if you look at the top 10 searches, whether it be Amazon or Walmart and other places, they are not in the top 10. They're not even in the top 20. Amazon, Apple Watch, uh, sorry, Apple Watch, for instance. Devices wow. are going, uh, going down in searches. But what's really coming up is things like, say, cheap and cheerful items like, say, Squishmallows. Have you heard about the plush toy? It's about a $20 item. And, uh, and it's been consistently the top five searches. Things like, say, Lego toys are starting to replace some uh, larger ticket electronic items. So we believe some of those uh, uh, cheaper alternatives are going to be doing a lot better in this holiday season as opposed to, say, more expensive items, higher ASP, higher sales price items, uh, say, um, uh, like, say, consumer electronics. That's interesting. I wonder, do you think that has implications for things like buy now, pay later, where you're ostensibly spending more on a bigger ticket item? Well, buy now, pay later is going to do well regardless. The reason being the stimulus money has dried up at this point. And so what's happening is uh, consumers are still trying to buy. Well, they may still be buying, say, some of the items which they were used to uh, in terms of uh, uh, in terms of uh, the holiday goods, holiday gifting items. But instead of paying out of their wallet, they're taking debt. And debt can come in different forms, whether it could be credit card debt or if, it, if I'm going to be paying 18% APR on my credit card debt, why wouldn't I take advantage of something that the retailer offers, whether it's through buy now, pay later or other, other mechanisms like that. So we believe that's still continue to be, it's going to be continuing to be strong, but that's more fueled by the debt issue that uh, America is starting to face uh, at this point. Fascinating times. Guru, thank you so much for sharing your insight into this Black Friday and the holiday shopping thank season. Thanks for having me. Let's get to gaming this morning. Uh, Microsoft $69 billion takeover of Activision Blizzard in the hot seat with the FTC likely to file an antitrust lawsuit to block the deal. That's according to a new report from Politico. Shares of Activision under pressure this morning on that news and now far below the $95 a share purchase price as investors continue to question the viability of a deal facing regulatory scrutiny now from Europe, the UK, and potentially the US. If that weren't enough, it comes during a tough time for gaming. The industry expected to post its first annual sales decline of 4.3%, according to some new estimates. Julia, uh, we're interested in this FTC report, uh, and especially given the fact that a lot of sell-side analysts have adjusted their rating on the name as if there's not a big pending deal in the works. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you just look at the risk um, to this deal right now, the fact that it's not just the FTC, which may or may not go forward with this lawsuit, we did reach out to the FTC and got a no comment. Um, also, just the fact that it is facing the scrutiny in, in the EU and the UK as well, and they need to get the deal done by next summer. Um, otherwise, they're going to have to renegotiate the terms or they could renegotiate the terms. So I think there's this fundamental question for the video game industries. How much did we see a real pull forward in terms of purchases of those expensive consoles? You know, how 
much did the did the pandemic drive a pull forward? And then what are we going to see in the next year or so um, as this sort of console cycle plays out? But a lot of challenges right now. And you have to wonder if Sony's right. Is Sony right? Would Microsoft um, get an unfair advantage from having this acquisition? Um, and I guess that'll all play out uh, through all these regulatory issues. Yeah, Sony has definitely made some noise. Uh, we'll see to what degree that's at work uh, if, in fact, this lawsuit does come to pass. Uh, E-commerce, by the way, taking center stage on this Black Friday. We're going to check in with Shopify's president after a short break. Stay with us. Tech Check is just getting started. brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play. Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Tech Check. Meta, Snap, and YouTube, all struggling with an ad contraction, see social shopping as a key opportunity to lock in e-commerce advertisers and ultimately to diversify their revenue streams. 34% of shoppers say they plan to do holiday shopping on social media this year. That's up from 28% last year and 26% in 2020, according to a survey by Deloitte. That's projected to drive social commerce sales to $958 billion this year, up from $732 billion last year. Meta is offering advertisers more AI-driven tools to help create shopping ads, which Meta says drives a 32% increase in return. Snap continues to focus on augmented reality. It has a new AI-driven AR shopping tool. They use a bot to ask Snapchatters questions about the person they're shopping for. Then, with voice-based machine learning, the app then shows custom gift ideas. And YouTube is expanding the shopping capabilities in its shorts TikTok rival. Now, Meta and Snap are not taking a cut of commerce right now. They're investing in these tools to drive advertiser and consumer engagement. YouTube does plan to take a percentage of creators' affiliate sales. But, Carl, it's so interesting looking at how e-commerce isn't right now about this new revenue stream, but could really generate a new revenue stream down the line. Right now, e-commerce is all about closing that loop making it easier for advertisers to get that ROI. Although we're back to that age-old debate, Julia, about whether or not the user wants it to be a purchase point or whether they just want to engage in social media and stop giving me opportunities and tricks to buy stuff. Uh, there is that balance of trying to give them the option but not drive them away. 
There is that balance, but it's interesting seeing the uptick in the percentage of people who are, A, shopping on mobile devices versus the laptops. Remember before people were kind of afraid to shop on their mobile devices, they didn't feel like it was as secure. And then if you look at the increase in people who want to do social commerce, who want to buy an Instagram, can it be a convenience? Can it be easy? Can they feel like they're saving time um, and getting ads that are meaningful and relevant to them? Because that's that's also the other balance, Carl. Carl, having ads that don't seem so creepy that they know exactly what you want, but, but they're relevant uh, enough to get you to click to buy. Exactly. How did you know I liked that? Exactly. That's yeah, a very you important listening? question. Yes, exactly. Uh, well, from social commerce to e-commerce, all eyes are on the strength of the consumer this holiday season. For more on what to expect this Black Friday and beyond, let's bring in Shopify's President Harley Finkelstein. Harley, happy Thanksgiving. Great to have you. Happy Black Friday. Thanks, Carl. Thank you, Carl. It is, it's like the Super Bowl around here right now. So thanks so much for having me today. I'm sure it's all hands on deck. Um, it is. Given what the color that we've gotten from retailers in the last couple of weeks, uh, just characterize how you think this season will be. Yeah, first of all, at the, at the uh, outset, what I will say is that you can actually see right now, anyone watching, uh, anyone in the studio can see global commerce happening right now in real time across the world. If you just go to datastories.shopify.com, we're actually projecting, uh, we're, we're showing you everything that is happening across the Shopify platform. A couple of things that we are seeing right now. First of all, it seems like this Black Friday and Cyber Monday season is less frantic. We are seeing less supply chain issues. We're seeing more physical stores open, of course, but there also is better capacity planning. And so it seems to be a more stable Black Friday than, than last year. Last year, we saw about 47 million shoppers buy from Shopify stores. Total sales across the four-day weekend was about $6.3 billion. And at peak, we saw $3.1 million uh, per minute on Black Friday. So here's what we're seeing right now. And again, this is still very early. It's, you know, it's not even 1130 yeah. yet, Eastern Standard Time. We're seeing right now 2.6 million sales happen every minute on Shopify and about 23,000 orders happen every single minute. So uh, there's a lot going on here. And average cart price is, is up to $109, $109. Um, but you know, peak sales, I think, was last night so far at midnight. So people are eager to really start shopping this year. That's interesting. I'm looking at categories too. Remind, tell me if this has changed, but apparel and accessories lead, health and beauty follow, home and garden, food and beverage, and then electronics and media. Is that historically Is low in the ranking? Well, I mean, first of all, it's, it's not necessarily that electronics are low, which is relative to apparel, health and beauty and home and garden. Uh, it, you know, it, it ranks lower than the rest. But we actually we dug into some top U.S. trending products right now across what we call the Shopify shopping index. And three out of the four trending products are actually health and beauty. Uh, Beach Waver, Curling Iron, um, Merit Beauty uh, Makeup Concealer and then Pat McGrath Lipstick. Uh, the fourth one is is uh, our place. It's the multi-purpose cooking pan called the Always Pan. So we're seeing a lot of stuff right now around getting out of the house, um, going out. Obviously, health and uh, you know health and wellness and beauty are in that category, but also things that you you do in the house as well. The big trend, though, Carl, is that shoppers are really being more intentional now. They're really voting with their wallets and they're looking for the highest quality for the best value. If you think about you know the stuff that that like all consumers want good value, but now it looks like they're buying from the brands they love the most. I can tell you from my own buying right now, I'm buying from Viore, Ruggable, Bombus, Monos, Vessi Shoes, Skims. So we, we do want to buy from the brands we like the most, but we also are looking for discounts from those brands as opposed mm. to kind of buying from a bunch yeah. of other you know random brands. Harley, good to see you. I'm definitely getting targeted by some of those brands on social media. <laughs> you know, you mentioned um, in, in your note here this idea of shifting 
from quantity into quality. Talk yeah. to us a little bit about that. You know, if you if you say it's about quality, does that mean people are buying less overall? They're spending less overall, but are spending on sort of fewer, better things. How does that playing out? Yeah, I mean, this is sort of the effect of inflation, I think, right? There's a lot of a lot of factors or could affects affect consumer behavior and purchase decisions. You have inflation, you have interest rates, geopolitical tensions, of course. And we but we've all seen a lot of positives. Earlier this week, actually, on your show, I think Carl talked about the consumer sentiment index being higher than expected. I think it was 56.8 versus 54.9. So it's even higher than we thought it would be. But one of those trends of inflation is that shoppers are really being more intentional. So rather than buying you know, 10 or 15 products from, from stores and brands they might like, they're really focused on those brands they really, really love. And, and we're seeing that across Shopify. And we're fortunate most of the brands that merchants love are on Shopify. Well, yeah, but so Harley, I have, a, I guess, a question here is how are you making sure or how are these brands making sure that they're connecting with their consumers? Is this about sort of the investment that um, brands have been making year round to build up that direct to consumer relationship? Or are they investing in a lot in social social media? What's working right now to drive those purchases? Yeah, I mean, I heard your commentary earlier, and I think you were dead right about it, which is that right now, the, like the future of retail and actually the current state of retail is retail everywhere. I've often said that, you know, you hear omni-channel or multi-channel talked about a lot right now. I've often said that in the, in the next year or so, that it's going to be like talking about the color TV. You're not going to say every TV is, is by default a color TV. So actually what we saw in the last couple of months in preparation for this season is that brands are opening up online brands opening up physical stores, uh, online brands or physical brands uh, selling across social media platforms. But the, the idea is not really to sort of think about these channels as different businesses, but look at them as sell anywhere where your consumer is spending time. And part of the reason you're hearing us do partnerships with Google and, 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 and Meta and Instagram and TikTok and all these, and Spotify even to some extent, is because we want to make it easy for these brands to reach consumers on every single surface. But you're right, that is a big key here is connecting direct with them. Harley, you know, uh, for a long time, we talked about the consumer in aggregate as having a lot of excess savings, right, and a, a high saving rate. Uh, the, the conversation now appears to be shifting to, well, how much credit could they build? Yeah. Uh, do they get, do they, is there untapped HELOC money? Are they going to, are these credit card balances going to go much higher? Do you think there's a chapter two where the consumer actually gets levered because they, they want to continue to spend? I think one of the things that, you know, this goes back to that, that, that concept of intentionality. I think the whether it's debt or it's cash that they have in, in their savings, and if that's running out and they're moving more to credit card debt, I, I can't speak to that. that that's, that's information I don't currently have. What I do think, however, is going to be the case is you are going to see these, more of this intentionality around shopping and less of this, you know, I'm going to buy from random companies that I, I kind of like and I'm, I'm going to sort of experiment. I think there's going to be more intentionality to buy from the brands you really, really love. But the other piece of it also is if you think about direct-to-consumer generally as a business model, you just have less intermediation in there. You have less intermediaries. And so one of the things that I think these direct-to-consumer companies can do, given the fact that, that the U.S. consumer is still spending, whether or not they're spending on credit cards or not, is a different story, is they're able to discount in a way that large-scale big-box retailers cannot simply because there's simply so many intermediaries in that. On the e-commerce, sort of the future of e-commerce in general, though, I mean, I, I think one thing to, to be very clear about is e-commerce is not going anywhere. The global e-commerce industry is predicted to grow to $8.1 trillion by 2026. It's like $5.7 trillion right now. So there is a lot of headroom and a lot of, a, a lot of tailwind right now still driving this sort of this yep. new modern retail concept. Yep. Hey, finally, really quick, have you been impressed at the way in which supply chains, which obviously have bedeviled us for a long time, don't seem to be a big talker this season, this, this crunch season? 
It, it's it's amazing. I mean, I, I opened, you know, at the beginning of, of our of our conversation, I mentioned that there seems to be less, it's less frantic now. And I think part of it is that consumers are not rushing in worried that there's not going to be things on the shelves. There's been a lot more predictability, both in supply chain, but also on the inventory side uh, from, from these retailers. And ultimately, I think that's leading to less franticness in terms of buying. It's a little, it's a lot more smooth. That being said, I think the fact that we as consumers and we as human beings know that supply chain, uh, supply yeah. chains have been eased. I think gives us a lot of confidence that the products we want will be available to us. And I think right yeah. now uh, is a really good time to buy. We're now up to 2.6 million sales happening every minute. So uh, we'll continue wow. to monitor this through the day. It is amazing how savvy the consumer is about what used to be back office operations in the retail business. Uh, Harley, amazing. look forward to talking a lot more in the coming weeks. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Carl. Apple in focus as COVID cases hit record highs in China and the company's biggest iPhone factory deals with the aftermath of violent protests there. More on what it means for the name next. Plus, looking for where you should put your money? Tune into a star-studded series of CNBC Pro Talks next week. Kathy Wood, Leon Cooperman and more. And it all starts Monday. Head to CNBC.com pro to register now. Tech Tech is back after this. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Good Friday morning. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Julia Borston. John and Deirdre have the morning off. Checking in on the markets on this Black Friday. A shortened session today at closing at 1 p.m. Eastern. Been pretty positive. It's actually been a pretty positive week overall uh, with the S&P hovering just above 4K. Let's get a news update as well with our Christina Partsinevelos. Hey, Christina. Hi, Carl. So here's what's happening at this hour. Tesla's upgraded full self-driving beta software is now available to everyone in North America if the owner has purchased the $15,000 self-driving option. That's according to a tweet earlier today from CEO Elon Musk. However, it should be noted that federal regulators have not yet issued approval for cars to be driven without a human in control. Musk is hoping that'll happen sometime in 2023, aka next year. Ford is recalling 634,000 sport utility vehicles over possible fire risks. The recall involves the Bronco Sport and Escape SUVs from the two, uh, 2022, or sorry, I should say 2020 through 2023 model years. Ford says the cars should be inspected for possible cracked fuel injectors, which could cause an engine fire. Bed Bath & Beyond is said to be struggling with empty shelves as it gears up for the holiday season. More than 40% of the housewares retailers' products were out of stock in October, according to a report in the Wall Street Journal citing analytics company DataWeave. The company is trying to shore up its finances and patch up relations with suppliers by catching up on overdue payments. And I still have not received my pots that we bought on October 30th from Bed Bath & Beyond. Much of a delay, Christina. Thanks so much. China reporting a record high number of COVID-19 cases in the country as lockdowns and protests continue to impact production for companies like Apple ahead of a very big holiday season. Eunice Yoon is live from Beijing with the latest. Eunice. Thanks, Julia. Well, most of China's iPhone city or Zhengzhou in central China is 
currently in lockdown until Tuesday. Uh, the, this comes after uh, violent protests had erupted at the Foxconn facility there, which is responsible for about 70 percent of, uh, of the global iPhone output, um, including of iPhone uh, 14 models. Uh, Foxconn has apologized for what it described as a technical error in worker pay, which was at least at least in part responsible, it seems, uh, for those protests. Uh, Foxconn offers um, about $1,400 for recruits that choose to leave the facilities. And um, Apple has sent in staff uh, saying that they're working with Foxconn to address some of the employee complaints. Now, the turmoil raises questions as to whether or not Foxconn is going to be able to meet its internal uh, goal to uh, get that facility up and running by the end of this month. Otherwise, export hub Guangzhou has denied that there will be a citywide lockdown. However, tonight, uh, one of its key districts just announced that it's suspending public transportation and that all residents must stay at home. This is also uh, coming as just uh, within the past hour, uh, there have been videos emerging that there's a, a larger protest that's forming in the far west in Xinjiang. Uh, which is home to uh, many uh, solar panel dis um, uh, uh, display uh, makers as well as uh, textile manufacturers. And uh, residents there have been protesting um, uh, COVID controls uh, blocking um, a, a building which appeared to have had uh, many residents, including children, uh, trapped inside because of a fire. So this is um, a bit of a pushback that we're seeing um, in different parts of the country, including here in Beijing. Uh, residents have been pushing back against um, what they see as, as unofficial uh, lockdowns and um, kind of arbitrary shutdowns of businesses. In fact, uh, some residents, uh, Julia, have been um, uh, forming what have been described as connected dragon uh, pacts. And that's uh, basically just a way to uh, show the, um, the government authorities uh, that they are willing to push back by using Chinese law. Uh, once again, Eunice, uh, we're so lucky uh, to have you there to be our eyes and ears and explain, obviously, a, a difficult story to understand and report our Eunice Yoon uh, in Beijing. Uh, those China lockdowns are just one of multiple headwinds facing Apple ahead of a big quarter for that name. Our Seema Modi has more on that today. Hey, Seema. And Carl, delays for the iPhone Pro Max don't seem to be stopping customers from entering Apple's flagship store. I was just inside this store. Nearly 200 people uh, shopping and browsing for various products, primarily international tourists. Though major shortages are starting to show up, according to Wedbush Securities. Analyst there, Dan I, is expecting 8 million iPhones to be sold this weekend versus the 10 million sold Black Friday last year. As a company, as you just heard from Unision, working to address those issues at its largest iPhone factory in Zhengzhou, where workers protested earlier this week, altercations with the police, adding to pressure its main supplier, Foxconn, struggling to hire workers due to that extended lockdown period. Now, on November 6, Apple did warn investors of iPhone shipment delays, but reiterated that it continues to see strong demand. Customers we spoke to here are willing to wait. Some are even buying the lower-cost iPhone 13, uh, the iPhone 14, which you can walk away with today. Evercore ISI analyst Ahmed Dariani says 
Uh, he doesn't see the extended wait times pushing consumers to exit the Apple ecosystem. That, of course, is the big concern. He initially forecasted about $3 billion in iPhone revenue to be pushed out from the December quarter to March. He now sees that number increasing to $6 billion, given that that big plant in China is still not up to 100% back online. Julia? Seema, thanks so much. And our next guest saying he sees iPhone Pro lead times extending slightly as supply chain issues persist, but we're likely through the worst of it. J.P. Morgan analyst Samik Chatterjee joins us now. He's got a buy rating on the name. Samik, big picture here. What do you think the impact is going to be of these delays? Will shoppers trade down? Will they wait for an iPhone 14? Any chance they're going to switch to a competitor? Yeah, no, and thanks for having me on the show. Uh, as, as we think about demand, we're not expecting consumers, as you sort of pointed out before as well, to really switch out and sort of move to a different platform. And you think about sort of evidence from iPhone 12 or iPhone 13 cycles as well, typically supply delays don't cause a consumer to sort of delay or sort of forfeit that purchase as such. Typically, a customer will just sort of put in an order, wait for it for roughly a month. Right now, the lead times are about sort of 30, 40 days. Uh, obviously, from a standpoint of a full fiscal year, we don't see as much of a material impact, but clearly what we are all concerned about is what it means for the December quarter. Uh, as we've sort of addressed some of the supply issues, we are forecasting the December quarter to be a year over year decline for Apple on the revenue side, and that would be sort of the first time you've seen that happen since like December 18 and uh, March 19 quarter. So definitely a material impact for the quarter, but overall from a demand perspective or for fiscal year, we're not expecting that to really drive customers to change their buying behavior as such. Going back to what Eunice Yoon was reporting about those Foxconn protests, what kind of impact do you see them having big picture long term on Apple, its ecosystem? Um, do you think we're going to see changes as a result of them or is there no impact? Yeah, no, definitely there'll be an impact on the supply chain and how Apple thinks about the supply chain, right? Uh, as we've sort of forecasted the supply chain and how Apple wants to restructure it, we see an increasing portion of the supply moving to India, we've had some forecasts we published around that as to where the long-term sort of India supply chain goes. But I think in the near term, what you're going to see Apple do is the Pro and the Pro Max are heavily reliant on the facility that's impacted right now. So there's little wiggle room around that, uh, where there's a bit more wiggle room for supply to be sort of moving to alternate suppliers is the base iPhone 14 models, the 14, 14 Plus, and iPhone 13 and the other iPhone model. So what you're probably going to look for Apple to do is, as you can already see on, Black, on sort of the Black Friday promotions, you don't have as much promotions on the Pro and the Pro Max. You're really going to see sort of the other models, iPhone 13 and below getting promoted for consumer adoption and purchases right here. And there's a bit more alternative supply that can be pulled through there. The Pro and the Pro Max, which is where the consumer demand has been sort of the most, are going to be a bit more impacted near term from the supply issues. I wonder whether or not, I mean, I know this is um, hypothetical, but if you were to create Apple today, how much supply would you have based in China if you could start over? And how much of this is just inertia from the past 30 years of globalization? Yeah, no, great question. I think largely when you took, uh, take a look at how companies want to treat their supply chain longer term, they want to sort of have most of the domestic demands uh, catered to from the domestic supply, right? So when you think about it on a more regional basis, 
you're probably going to expect companies to sort of companies like Apple to cater to about sort of 20, 15 to 20 percent of the supply from the domestic market and then sort of the remaining from as close to their sort of demand centers as possible. Now, clearly, that will take a long time to sort of get there. We are seeing some of the other products that are easier to move, get there faster, but not the iPhone. But I think it, it, longer on, you won't get there exactly, but very close to it. Uh, just a final question about wearables. We talked so much about the iPhone, but what is your outlook for the watch and also AirPods this holiday season? Yeah, no, uh, we've been very excited about the Watch Ultra, particularly, I would say. M less so about units, more about what the uh, AI revenue implications are for that. The way we see that product doing in terms of lead times, solid demand, as well as driving a lot of premiumization, as we call it, of the uh, watch, watch sort of product line itself, where consumers switch for the better battery life, and essentially you're getting sort of higher revenue from it. Uh, when you think about the AirPods, uh, that's again a product that's not as impacted by the supply constraints. So you're going to see that probably emerge as a big sort of holiday gift uh, uh, product uh, going going into the sort of last few weeks of the year. So again, expect strong momentum there, but probably partly benefiting from the supply constraints on certain other products, but uh, mm -hmm. expect robust quarters in terms of revenue. Great, will be fascinating to watch. Samike, thank you so much for joining us on this Black Friday. Thank you. Meantime, Tesla shares seeing another down day amid a tough November for that name. Company finally making its full self-driving software available for everyone in North America, but also this big recall of about 80,000 EVs in China due to seatbelt and software issues. 182 is uh, not the 166 that shares were at earlier in the week. We're back in a couple of minutes. If you thought the crowds on Black Friday were frightful, just wait until you see Netflix's spooky new series Wednesday, centered on the beloved teenage misanthrope of the Adams Family fame, Wednesday Adams. The Tim Burton-directed series debuted globally this week with a star-studded cast. And for our latest binge, I sat down with the minds behind the show, co-creators, EPs, and showrunners Al Goff and Miles Miller. I asked Miles how his experience producing that TV mega-hit Smallville compared to the Netflix showrunning experience. We talk a lot about how the world has changed in a streaming era and how that uh, creates challenges and opportunities for storytellers. How is life different when trying to put together a show, when, when we're trying to run a show? Well, life's incredibly different. You know, we joke, we spent three and a half years making eight episodes of TV. With Smallville, we would have, we'd have made 88 episodes of TV. So it's just, in terms of just the product line, it's, it's much reduced. And also the quality, I mean, each episode of Wednesday really does feel like a, a mini movie. The schedule per episode is like 25 days, whereas an episode of Smallville was eight. In terms of the, the effort and the distribution of people binging, seeing all of it on one day, that's a big, a big change for us as creators, that you don't have the chance to have syndication or repeats. People have to discover it on that binge weekend and go for it. You can watch the entire interview with Al and Miles on CNBC.com slash binge right now. And for the full uncut conversation, you can join us for a special live stream on Twitter or YouTube right after this show at 1 p.m. Eastern time. A lot of gems in this one, Julia. I thought it was interesting to take a franchise, another example where you're looking for backstories within individual characters, much like Star Wars and Marvel have done for years. 
Yeah, and so fascinating also to think about how the format, this binge format, is really impacting the production of the content itself. I can't wait to see it, Carl. Uh, fascinating stuff. And a tough year for fintech names, but could the holiday season be the start of a turnaround? We'll discuss. That's next. Don't go away. Welcome back. Let's get a gut check on Coupa Software. Shares continuing their ride higher today and reports that Vista Equity Partners is circling the waters and exploring a deal to take the name private. Shares are up more than 30% this week on those rumors, but that said, even with the surge, they remain 70% off their highs of the year. More market action is still ahead. Stay with us. Welcome back. Let's turn to digital payments this morning as Black Friday kicks off what could be a big holiday season for names in that space. Names like Affirm down 90 percent over the last year. SoFi and Block not far behind. Is Q4 time for a rebound? Let's bring in Mizuho's Dan Dolev, who calls Affirm and SoFi buys, has a hold on Block. Dan, great to see you again. Uh, I want to get you first on SoFi because the squeeze between crypto worries and student debt uh, has been like a pincher move on that stock. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, as we've, we said in the note, the, the first cut is the deepest. This one is not so bad. Um, this one has been, you know, people love to hate this name. Uh, but if you actually look at the fundamentals, they're great, right? I mean, they're making personal loans like a bank. Uh, the student loans, I mean, I guess we had that setback with, with the Biden extension of the uh, moratorium. But you, you're seeing the stock really barely move to that because I think it's kind of immune to that. So I think from here on, there's, there's only pure upside because um, you know all the bad news are priced in. They're doing well fundamentally. And it's, it's a bank with a cachet, and you don't really have any other equivalent to that here in the US. Walk me through the hold on block, uh, some of the, the dynamics that lead you to that. Yeah, I'm not a big fan right now. Of, you know, this used to be our, our topic for a long, long time. It kind of grew on us that I think that it's not very well managed. And I think the issue with block, if you think about the cash app, which is kind of the growth driver, uh, increasingly, um, payday lending, which they call borrow, is becoming a much bigger part of, of the cash app growth. We estimate that this was like, you know, probably 50% of the incremental growth in the third quarter, uh, up to 50% came from uh, payday lending, maybe a little bit less than that. This is not a great business, uh, especially not in this environment, especially not given the uh, cohort of people that use the, you know, a lot of like people that don't make enough, a lot of money are using the cash app. And, you know, the question is, will they actually pay back? Everyone's going to take a payday loan. The question is, how many people are going to, you know, pay it back? And that's why we're a little bit more, I would say, lukewarm on, on Square or Block at this point. And what's going on with buy now, pay later? What's, what's happening with that phenomenon? Uh, was that more of a blip? Is this going to be a permanent part of this ecosystem? And which companies are best positioned when it comes to that category? Yeah, and that's that's the question. That's a great question. Look, if this category survives, I think it will, right? I mean, this is kind of the question. There's no doubt in my mind that Firm is a market leader, right? You've got some other great players like uh, Zip, which is out of Australia. Um, Afterpay, I think, which is owned by Square, I think that's a little bit of a disappointment, but it's all helping Firm, right? So Firm is the market leader. Uh, if you look at their uh, securitizations, which is kind of how we track delinquencies, 
they're actually trending fine. So you're not seeing like a huge you know jump in delinquencies, which is what everyone's looking for. So again, if interest rates go through the roof uh, and things get really sour, it might not be a great environment for this. But if they survive, this is the market leader. This is the Visa and MasterCard of buy now, pay later. And that's why we like the firm. Uh, and then just another question about FTX. Um, I know Carl mentioned it, but looking at the shift um, in market share over to Coinbase, do you think um, that Coinbase is well positioned now? And also, if you look more broadly, is this a moment where you think consumers are going to just be shifting out of cryptocurrency? How important is crypto going to be a year from now? Yeah, I mean, what you just said, I, I cannot agree with you more than that. I think I think crypto is dead. And I think that... Um, Investing in Coinbase is just a waste of time because what's going to happen is there's consumer is disinterested. If you go back to the uh, dot com bubble, it took people like five years to come back to these stocks, right? The pets.com of the world. And those were real businesses. What we're talking about here is just kind of, you know, these these crypto tokens, which are essentially what, what FTX taught you is that one day you could be worth the world and the second day you could be worth nothing. And I think consumers are going to be very, very scared. So those market share gains, which actually getting uh, they're very minimal in the greater scheme of things. I wouldn't get overexcited about them because the overall volumes are coming down. They're making like 600 million in revenue and 1.2 billion in losses. It's a very bad business right now. Wow. Uh, Dan, what, what, a, what a shift uh, in that market. And uh, we'll be looking, obviously, for more signs of contagion. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Dan Dola. Happy Thanksgiving. And a quick programming note as we head to break. A jam-packed week ahead for CNBC Pro subscribers. And there is still time to subscribe yourself and get in on the action. Hear from Kathy Wood, Leon Cooperman, and more in a week of online talks that you do not want to miss. That all kicks off on Monday. Head to CNBC.com pro for more. Tech Check is back in a moment. thing before we go, Elon Musk messing with blue checks once again, saying in a tweet early this morning that the company is planning to relaunch Twitter blue verifications next Friday, December 2nd, and pushing past the November 29th deadline set last week. Musk says the new system will designate companies with a gold check, government-linked accounts with a gray check, and all other individuals with a blue check. Now, a key caveat here, all accounts will be, quote, manually authenticated. Carl, this sounds like a pretty labor-intensive process for a company that just lost and laid off more than half its employees. Yeah, there's also uh, the tweet he gave uh, last couple of days about the possibility of broad amnesty for suspended accounts. Washington Post did a piece uh, last night, Julia, where they, they interviewed some folks who were now calling for maybe Apple and Google to start considering whether or not they should be restricted from the App Store. So there's a lot of very important conversations going on. And headwinds here. I mean, also, if you look at the contracting ad market and the fact that, yes, Elon Musk wants to diversify Twitter's revenue stream. But for now, the business is entirely reliant on ads and a lot of big brands have paused their spending as they wait to see how Musk's ownership of this platform plays out, Carl. Yeah, uh, pretty remarkable uh, as we keep our eye on Twitter, talk more about it as a private company, maybe now than we ever did as a public company, uh, Julia. As for next week, uh, things are going to continue to get very busy. We're going to have a jobs number uh, coming up on Friday, but even before then, we'll get PCE on Thursday, Jolts on Wednesday, and Powell will speak at Brookings on Wednesday as we look for more clues out of the Fed. Julia, this was fun, uh, really fun anchoring with you Always today. Fun, have a Carl. great weekend, everybody. Let's get closing bell. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.